Well, this is week four of our series that we're working through called This Way of Life. And this week, we're going to tackle the idea of being a leader. And so what we're going to do is look at an episode with Paul and see what does it mean to be a leader. And when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about what you would find in leadership books or uh, leadership conferences. And while those have value, uh, that is not this. When we're talking about leadership as it regards to the Bible and Paul, we're talking about leadership as a disciple maker. And so in order to get into that, let's go to Lystra. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out. He said, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to sacrifice, because they uh, brought them from the city gates. They wanted to sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas then begged them to stop, to tell them of Yahweh. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. They dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So there is a lot happening here. Paul is walking through in his ministry, and he's healing someone, to which the folks in Lystra call them, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes. So you have to understand, this is a Greek place with Greek gods. And Paul has been talking about Jesus, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And they start seeing him heal. And this runaway train sort of happens where they begin worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Because what has Paul said? That, that, that Jesus is coming, that God is coming to be with us. And what do they say to him? The gods have come down in human form. What he tells them of Christ, they tell him of himself. That the gods are with us. And so they assigned Hermes to Paul because Paul was the chief speaker. And he was doing the work of Zeus, obviously. And so what happens is Paul and Barnabas beg them to stop. And in the midst of kind of this chaos, the Jews in the area capitalize on this. They go and they find friends and they bring them over and they actually stone Paul. And stoning, you have to understand in the moment, stoning is not probably what we think of when we think of someone uh, just being pelted with rocks. So the first thing that would happen, it was all kind of very regulated. The first stone had to come from an accuser. And and the, the accuser, whoever was willing to put his reputation on the line to be the first one to throw he would be the one that would start. And then others who agreed with that, who were other witnesses, they would get to join in as well. And then they would bind the person. He would be bound and then pushed off a cliff. At that point, they would find him at the bottom of the cliff and they would make sure to drag that person outside the city walls, assuming they were dead. And if they weren't dead, knowing they would be soon, and they didn't want them to kind of sully the city by dying inside the city gates. The difference here is Paul is alive. Paul is stoned, He's still alive. He gets back up. He goes back into the city. He grabs Barnabas and they head for the next place. And the aside here, I think the thing we need to see before we move on is that every culture has gods that we try to mold big G, capital G God, into. So for the Greeks, their their gods were based in Greek mythology, Zeus, Hermes. For Americans, it's wealth, it's independence. And so the prosperity gospel, this, this Jesus that we have that's wrapped inside of a flag, We have to be careful because you read the Bible, you see a lot about serving, but very little about independence. That freedom 
is found in Christ and not in government. And so where our danger is, is that, that we have the, the temptation to turn capital G, God, into some little g form of what we think God should be based on our culture. Prosperity that we know is in God's grace, not in the banker's table in the temple. And so the challenge, I guess, before we even get into the rest of the story is to know your gods and make sure you're not making them God. So back to what's happening with Paul. We pick it up in Acts 16. It says, Paul came to Derby and then back to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised them because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches, it says, were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Notice, Paul returns to Lystra. They've stoned him. So this is a huge personal risk for him to return to the scene of where the last time he was here, they stone him, push him off a cliff, and drag him out of the city. So what we see in Paul looking at this is a leader isn't self-concerned, but mission-minded. A leader isn't self-concerned, but mission-minded. A leader doesn't rest in internalized failures, but in eternal faith. Nothing logical or rational tells Paul to go back into the city where the last time he was there, they drug him out and left him for dead. There's nothing uh, that makes any sense in that. Except that Paul isn't self-concerned. He's not worried about his health. He's worried about the mission. And Paul has not rested in the internalized failures of ministry, of which one happened in Lystra, but rather in his eternal faith. The other thing we see is that he's this time without Barnabas. And if you read in the book of Acts, in chapter 15, they separate. They go their own ways. And so when he enters Lystra this time, he finds Timothy, this boy. Timothy is a momser. Say it. Mamzer. The Bible tells us that this is someone of mixed race, that he had a Jewish mother and a Greek dad. There's a reason it says that in the scripture. A mamzer is a child of forbidden marriage, an illegitimate child. And so Lois was Timothy's grandmother, faithful Jewish woman, and she has a daughter named Eunice. Eunice is a faithful Jewish woman. Eunice gets involved, falls in love, maybe gets married, we don't know, with a Greek man. A baby boy comes out of that relationship. His name is Timothy which means honoring God. And remember, names matter. On the eighth day, Eunice, being a faithful Jew, would have taken him to the temple to be circumcised. Circumcision, like any other good Jewish boy would get, she would walk him in, and the rabbi would have looked at her and said no. Even from a faithful family, the stain was too great. A momser can't go into the temple. A momser can't be circumcised like all the others. And as he grew up, Timothy would have run into this over and over and over again. Timothy, can, you, can he sit with the Gentiles? No, he's not a Gentile. Can he sit with the pagans? No, he's not a pagan. Can he study the Torah with a rabbi? No, you cannot study the scriptures, Timothy. To which someone must hatch the plan, well, what if he marries a Jewish woman? What if as he gets older, he finds a woman and he marries her? Will that kind of reunite him into the Jewish? No, not him, not his children. Deuteronomy says no one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even until the 10th generation. So Timothy, whose name meant honoring God, can't study the scripture. He can't learn under a rabbi. And you have to imagine that as he thinks about it, that he is cursed through 10 generations, that they will not be allowed access to the scriptures, to the temple. 
that hopelessness must be setting in. Yet believers spoke well of him, it says. I can see Timothy sitting in the dust outside of the temple, overhearing what goes on on the inside. I can see Timothy eavesdropping just a few yards behind the rabbis that come through town with their disciples in tow. I can see Timothy taking on the humility of a learner. And then here comes Paul. Remember what we just read of Paul. Paul is stoned and dragged out of the city. Timothy surely knows of this event in Lystra's history because he was there. So as Paul, this hero of believers, returns, remember what Paul has been preaching as he goes around on his journey. Galatians 3. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, according, heirs according to promise. The Mamzer watches from the shadow. His heart must leap as he thinks about what Paul has been preaching. Neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. Not a Mamzer, but an heir of Christ, the son of Abraham. This man was stoned and left for dead, and he is back. Hope swells in Timothy as he sees Paul return to his city. Timothy must be thinking, I would follow that man. This Timothy who cannot follow a rabbi because of the stain on his life, because of someone else's choice in his life. Paul sees Timothy, calls him over, says, you're Timothy. Follow me. Paul, who studied under Gamaliel, Paul, who was stoned and marched back into the city, Paul, who was preaching of the Christ, who says, I am a son of Abraham. Could it be? Timothy must think. My stains are gone. I've been set free. And then Paul does something radical. Paul turns around, takes Timothy, and circumcises him. Think about that. This is crazy. Timothy being 12, 14, 16 years old, what lengths Paul went to to show Timothy who he was. You're with me, and we're with Jesus. Imagine the joy in Timothy's soul as he's included, as he's marked and brought into this family. Imagine the fire that must have burned for the rest of his life to see others set free, to show others the truth about who they were in Christ. No stain, no shame, no lost, only found in Jesus. Imagine the fire in his bones to do for others what was done for him. We see right here, leaders take chances. Paul circumcises a teenager, a mumser, and off they go. And then leaders invest deeply in people, deep sacrifice for the benefit of others. Listen to what comes of it in 1 Timothy 1, 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, Paul writes, my true child. 2 Timothy 1, 2. Paul writing again, to Timothy, my beloved son. My true child, my beloved son. Timothy becomes a son to Paul. How many of us long to hear those words that were precious to someone, that we were worth the risk, that they were worth the time? How many of us long to, to hear that we're worthy to be poured into? Or that we might carry on some legacy that matters? That we're a true child, someone's beloved son or daughter? This is adoption language. And adoption language is so powerful in that it is entirely voluntary. People are desperate to hear this. You are desperate to hear this. 
We've talked about this in here before, that millennials are desperate for a leader. They are desperate to belong. We've also said that 36% of millennials in a recent survey identified as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The question they were asked is, what a religious affiliation do you claim? And more than one in three says, none, I don't, I don't claim any. I don't have a faith. The top desire for those who do come to church in the same survey data is for a mentor, a leader, someone to shape them. This is more than an occasional check-in. This is life-on-life leadership that people desire. It's the same thing people have always desired. New generations don't want something different. They want the same thing. They want what all of us want. They want someone to take a risk on us. They want someone to invest time in us. They want someone to call them precious. This is behind the curtain leadership. This is come see how I raise my kids or see how I treat my wife kind of leadership. This is cook with me and work with me and and pray with me or maybe even sit in silence with me kind of leadership. For a generation raised with high divorce rates and dual income households and babysat by TV and technology, this is an invitation to enter into life. And for the generations coming up, it's more important than ever. Who will lead them? Who will love them? Who will raise them up and sacrifice for them? That's the loving leadership that Paul gives to Timothy. Imagine the fire in Timothy's bones. After Paul has taken him on and showed him such incredible love, you don't have to imagine because you are Timothy. I am Timothy. We are stained. Like Timothy, we have been stained by choices, by heritage, by sin, by stupidity. We are chosen then by Christ. Paul chose Timothy, took a chance, and led him to his full potential. And that's only a dull reflection of the source here. Jesus chose you and me. Timothy was a momser, a half-breed, rejected, stained. And we are modern-day momsers, falling short every day of the standard, stained by sin. Paul took a chance. He marched back into Lystra at great personal risk. And he circumcised. He marked Timothy. He made him a disciple, a true child in the faith, a beloved son. Jesus came down into poverty, was born in an animal stall, lived sinlessly at great personal cost. His very life was beaten from him. And he was hung on a cross to mark us, to claim us, to call us sons and daughters, his beloved. You've been called to go and do likewise, to make disciples, to train people up in this way of life. You read the scriptures, you find that Timothy becomes a champion of the church, this mixed race God uses as a positive. What was seen as a negative, oh, well, he can't be one of us because he's from this this mixed race. No, it's a positive Because Timothy could uniquely reach both Greek and Jew, at which point in history they were in was invaluable. The two dominant cultures, Timothy had an in on both. God will use us likewise. I was a wayward son. Catholic kicked out of confirmation class for asking too many questions about Mary. I was a believer in Jesus, but had no rabbi to follow. I knew the world too well, and someone took a chance on me and said, come with me, my Timothy. Someone in my life saw positives where I saw stain. Saw an opportunity to reach people that others couldn't reach because they hadn't walked the path I'd walked. A leader looks at a life and doesn't see stain of sin, but a testimony of transformation not yet given. A leader looks at a life and doesn't see the stain of sin, but a testimony of transformation not yet given. Someone looked at me and said, come on, my Timothy. Someone saw a preacher in me, a pastor in these bones, said, you've been through some things, which means you'll be able to help others go through them. I didn't see it. But a leader 
loved me enough to show me. So the question as we consider this is who led you? Who saw Timothy in you? Who looked at you on the scrap heap of life and said, no, no, they're not done yet? Who do you know who needs to be led right now? Who is it? I know there's people in this room who are right now saying, I, I can't lead someone. You don't know what I'm into. You don't know what I've done. I'm not trained for that. I'm not ready for that. There's a message in the scripture that comes up over and over and over again. It's that we don't have to be worthy, just willing. We don't have to be worthy, just willing. That God will use willing parts. That God will use willing hands and hearts and lives for change. So who is your Timothy? Who is it? That you have been sent here to come back, to find, to grab, to lead, to love. To lead them into this way of life. When you find them, tell them. Tell them you're going to invest. Tell them you're going to love. Tell them you want to walk through this way of life with them. And then speak the truth into their life that there will be a day that you then release them to go like Timothy. And become a champion of the church to go and change the world, to go and see others' lives transformed. Let's pray.